Hmm? And Matthew Stewart, yes. Um, and so I wanted to, to, to just say thank you for all the work that went into making the sanctuary this festive place this week. And as we start this sermon, um, I, uh, you know, when you, there's this thing when you're a minister, uh, you go to seminary to become a pastor, but they don't teach you all the things you need to know as a pastor. Um, you learn about the Bible and about church history and about theology, which is all really good stuff to know. You should know those things. But then there's all the stuff that you can't really predict that you're going to need to know. Um, I am now 11 years into being a minister, and I can finally read a budget pretty confidently. But there were seven or eight years where I said I knew what the budget said, and I didn't know what the budget said. <laughs> Luckily, we have people who do. But I, I've been really lucky in my own life to have folks, mentors, people who have told me things that I should look out for as a minister. And sometimes it's a little bit unexpected. For instance, I worked with a pastor in Arizona uh, who had been my home pastor, and then I interned with him. And he told me that as a minister, you need to be really careful around the Christmas season with yourself. And he said this because he said that this is a season in which you are expected to be joyful and happy all the time, 24-7, that there's pressure around that. And he said, sometimes you feel something else. Sometimes you feel a loss, a gap, something that makes it hard to be joyous. He said, sometimes you'll be celebrating Christmas for the first time without a loved one. He said, sometimes that you will be up in the pulpit talking about peace on earth, but you will have spent a year like this last one where we have seen scenes of war from Ukraine and Gaza. And sometimes you will, during the Christmas season, talk about goodwill between people in a country in which there have been more mass shootings than days this year. And I think as we begin this series, this Advent, there are reasons in our lives to be weary. And so we then have to ask the question, how do we also be joyous? Our theme this year is how does a weary world rejoice? And what I've realized as I've dug into this topic is that uh, the Christian faith is never an either or endeavor. It's not you're either weary or you're joyous. But actually, we often hold those two things in tension. We are joyous in the midst of our weariness. And so this Advent season, we're going to talk about how a weary world rejoices. What are the things that restore our hope, that fill us with joy, even as we sometimes feel disheartened? But first, we have to admit we are weary. We have to pause long enough to recognize that we are in need of restoration, in need of the rest that Christ offers. So I invite you to hear now our scripture from the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Since many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed on to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, I too decided as one having a grasp of everything from the start to write a well-ordered account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may have a firm grasp of the words in which you have been instructed. 
in the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was descended from the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blameless according to the commandments and regulations of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and both were getting on in years. Once when he was serving as priest before God during his section's turn of duty, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. Now at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people were, was praying outside. Then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was terrified and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink. Even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and with the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I know that this will happen? For I am an old man, and my wife is getting on in years. The angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. But now, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak until the day these things occur. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering at his delay in the sanctuary. And when he did come out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He kept motioning to them and remained unable to speak. When his time of service was ended, he returned to his home. And may God bless this reading. Well, there's this common... Uh, theme that appears in scripture. We talked about this not long ago. Um, the image of a, of a woman who is without child. Uh, we know today there are many reasons women don't have children, and some of those come with stories of pain and struggle. Uh, but in the time of this scripture, the imagery was meant to convey to the people something about the hope of God. God works by bringing life where there isn't any life. It's a metaphor, an image that stretches beyond the circumstances of this couple to the people of Israel. And Zechariah is at the center of this story with his wife, Elizabeth. He is a faithful priest who has given his entire life to God. And he has lived during a time in which things are not as they should be. We know from the historical record that the years just before Jesus' birth, that there were many revolts violent uprisings. We know through the scripture that Herod the Great would have issued decrees during this time. By the way, Herod the Great shouldn't be confused with Herod Antipas. And if you were in the Acts Bible study a couple years ago, you know there are like 15 Herods and keeping them straight is difficult. Uh, 
that this is the one who is great. But we know he died during this time. And we know that there was a power vacuum leading to a struggle over the control of the region of Palestine. And there were many, many Jewish revolts as zealous believers tried to overthrow their Roman occupiers. Many of these were harshly put down. This was a time of great violence. It was a time in which the idea that Israel would throw off their captors was often thrown into question. It was a time in which hope was hard to come by. And you've got to think about Zechariah, the faithful priest who has seen all of this, lived all of this. And in the midst of all of this, Zechariah learns that despite his advanced age, he and his wife will bear a child. And according to the biblical theme, it is a time when God will bring life where there has not been life. And if I were Zechariah, I'd be so excited to share this news. I would run out of the temple and let everybody know what had happened to announce the good news of what God is doing. Except he can't. His voice has been taken from him. He quite literally cannot announce what God is doing. His voice is lost. And I want you to put yourself in his place. You have something exciting to say, but can't say it. What are you thinking about during that time? What is going through your mind? I had this image of Zechariah having the life flash before your eyes moment where you relive everything that's happened to you, except that it's going slower than a flash. I imagine Zechariah is reliving every moment, every tragedy, every time hope seemed lost, every moment of grief relived while he is waiting to tell this great hope to this people. Zechariah knows there is reason for great hope. But that doesn't automatically make his weariness go away. I think this is a thing that we need to admit, that joy and weariness, grief and happiness are not opposites. They often live together. One of the things I love about Advent is that it calls us to pause. Like God called Zechariah to pause before announcing the good news. But we live in this world that moves so quickly that can, we can often be tempted to keep busy enough not to recognize our own grief. We think happiness is ignoring what is wrong, but the two actually live side by side. The two go together. And sometimes God slows us down so that we can recognize that the two are living together within us. So the last few months in this church have been a time of grief. Uh, Amanda and I returned to the States from a trip to Switzerland in the middle of June. Uh, and since then I've officiated 11 funerals. Most of those were for folks in our community, though that there were some folks who were members of the greater Lafayette community as well. And so around here, it's been difficult not to admit that there is grief in the world. But throughout all of this, uh, the death that has stuck with me the most wasn't actually a person. It was our dog, Nami. So in October, uh, we woke up and we woke Nami up and she was not breathing very well. And so we took her to the Purdue Emergency Clinic and after some tests, they told us that she had a tumor. 
And so we took her back that night and had her put down. I adopted Nami in 2013. Amanda once referred to our cat as her longest adult relationship. (laughs) And Nami is pretty close to that for me. She's been with me through all kinds of changes, moving to Oregon and then moving to Indiana, all sorts of stuff. And she, and a pet is, is the strange thing because a pet is a constant source, a constant presence in your life. You see them every day, day in and day out. And so we had to say goodbye. Of course, some of you also know that uh, we recently adopted a new dog, Augie. He's a black lab chow chow puppy who uh, is great. He's four months old. He's been a source of joy in our household, even as though they're the normal frustrating puppy accidents. Uh, and if I pulled up the webcam I had on him right now, he might be losing his mind in his crate because he does that whenever we leave. And so we love having this new presence in our house. But there's this thing that happens with Augie that sometimes he will do something that Nami used to do. He'll put one of his big puppy paws on my chest as if to say, I choose you. Or he'll lay down his head on my leg when we're laying on the couch, which is something that Nami used to do. And in those moments, it is easy to try to stop that reminder, to move a little bit faster, maybe to tell the dog to lay somewhere else so that I don't have to think about the grief that I carry still from the loss of our friend. But instead, I've learned to take those as moments to pause, to stop. And I remember who Nami was. I bring to mind the grief we had at saying goodbye to her. And even as our hearts are filled with the joy of the presence of this new, rambunctious, energetic puppy, I remember And that's the thing, grief and joy sometimes go together. They sometimes live in the same place. And so I've chosen to pause and recognize that fact. And that's what Advent is very much about. Advent is not about ignoring what's wrong in the world. It is not pretending that things are as good as they could possibly be. It is not pretending like we don't care that this is the first year without a loved one. It is not pushing the feelings to the back of our minds and ignoring them for a month. Rather, Advent calls us to wait with what is in our hearts and recognize that it is often in the midst of great grief that God shows up. Advent reminds us that there is reason for a weary world to rejoice. I think to be a follower of Christ is to say, I know that the world is full of sin and heartache and pain. I know that there is death and grief. I don't know how it's all going to work out. But being a follower of Christ is to say that I choose to believe, to wait on a God who is bringing life where there is no life. There's a line in a Wendell Berry poem that I think summarizes this really well. It's from the Mad Mad Farmer Liberation Front. And it goes like this. Be joyful. 
though you have considered all the facts. I can't imagine a better sentiment for the gospel than that. Be joyful though you have considered all the facts. So this Advent season, as we journey towards Christmas, it'll be tempting to pretend everything is all right. And it's okay to acknowledge that it's not always. Because in order for a weary world to rejoice, we first have to admit that we are weary, that we are tired. And in the midst of that weariness, we are called to lift our hearts and spirits to God in joy. Let us pray. O holy and gracious God, we give you thanks for the gift of the season, for the chance to wait, for the presence that you have put in our lives. We pray, O holy God, for all of those who we know this season feel weary. O holy God, may you restore us, and may you keep us, may you strengthen us in all things. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.